Hello, welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries podcast. We are the college ministry out of Stillwater Bible Church, and we want to be a ministry that's full of mature believers who are helping believers to mature. You're joining us during our study on Sunday mornings of the letter of 2 Timothy. This is where the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, encouraging him to stand strong in the face of apathy and persecution that he's experiencing. I hope that you are as encouraged as I am as we go through this book verse by verse. Um, now we're going to move on to the final part of Paul's final letter. So 2 Timothy, turning your Bible to 2 Timothy. This is Paul's final goodbye. Today we're going to look at the last few verses of the letter. Um, but then we're going to go kind of over a review of it. So we're going to be in the last page that you have in your Bible of 2 Timothy. Um, this is, of course, the letter that Paul encourages Timothy to stand strong. And uh, we're going to look at that kind of through the, through the letter today. So I'm going to read these last few verses. Uh, this is just verse um, 19 through 22. So it says this. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Prudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this letter. That we've been able to see it over the past semester, the past few months. I pray that um, today as we kind of look at this ending um, that Paul has and then add the rest of it as a whole, that you would just guide us and then bring to mind all the things that we've learned this semester. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So we start off, right? We start off here, and we have greet Prisca and Aquila. That sounds kind of familiar, right? What does it sound like? Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila. Whoa. Same people, right? So this is just like Bob and Robert, right? So Prisca and Priscilla, right? Prisca and Aquila, the household of Mr. Forrest. So Prisca and Aquila that we have here. The same as Priscilla and Aquila. These are Paul's friends, right? And we actually see more about them in Romans and Acts. So in Romans 16, um, 3 through 5, it says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the church of the Gentiles also greet that church that is in their house. So they were just this couple, right? They were a married couple, and they had risked their lives for Paul. And uh, also the whole churches of the Gentiles give thanks for them, right? Like they, they are a big deal. Also, in Acts 18, they're mentioned there three different times. They're believers who were also tent makers like Paul. Paul lived actually with them and worked alongside them for a bit as he did his ministry to kind of um, just be with them and have people he's working with. Later on, someone else came along. Um, someone who was really well acquainted with the scriptures, a really good and powerful teacher. And this guy was boldly proclaiming in the synagogues. But he only knew about John the Baptist's message. So he was proclaiming about the Messiah, but only knew, was familiar with John the Baptist's message. So Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and explained to him the correct and whole picture about Jesus so he could accurately proclaim the right news. That guy was Apollos, right? You may remember him being mentioned other places in Scripture. He was one of the teachers that um, the people in the Corinthian church were identifying with. Right? I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Right? They had this kind of this kind of distinction and divisions that were causing it among themselves. So they corrected Apollos and said, like, bro, here's the actual teaching you can know about from Christ. So this married couple is mentioned a few times in Scripture. They're tent makers. They have a church meets in their house. 
they corrected one of the most influential teachers in at least the Corinthian church. These were faithful workers for Christ. They had a huge impact on the people around them. It helped guide one of the most influential teachers in the early church. So no matter where we're at in life, we want to be a Priscilla or an Aquila, right? We want to be those people that we're working, we're doing things wrong with life, but we're impacting those around us closer to Christ. We're doing things that are influential to those around us. We want to be living for Christ in the midst of our school, in the midst of our jobs, in the midst of our relationships, our hobbies, all of it. We don't want to just stand strong on Sundays or Wednesdays or other times with Christian believers. We want to be standing strong in all that we do, like Priscilla and Aquila, right? Always out there, always serving, being faithful. And like Anisiphorus, right? What was with Anisiphorus? What was going on there? Not ashamed. He do not care, right? Everyone's ashamed of Paul. Everyone actually abandoned Paul whenever he was arrested. But as far as search for Paul every time he was in Rome to find him and refresh him, encourage him, no matter what the culture said about Paul, he was going to go and find Paul and encourage him. And so um, he was in chapter one, right? Mentioned as that faithful encourager. He was a refreshment to Paul. He searched and found Paul in the middle of Rome where Paul was a prisoner. So um, we have these, these kind of two groups, these two people, right? Priscilla and Aquila greet them in the household of Nisiphorus. We don't know if Nisiphorus has died. Uh, that's why it says the household of Nisiphorus, or if he's just saying like the whole family was very refreshing. I don't know. Um, but Priscilla, Aquila, and the household of Nisiphorus. These faithful people who are encouraging Paul, helping. And then 2 Timothy 4.20, right? It says, Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus, I love sick at Miletus. Both Erastus and Trophimus people who Timothy had worked with in the past, right? He'd been doing ministry with them. And so Paul's updating him on their status, where they're at, right? What's going on? And so he's just saying, hey, you know these people, right? You know Erastus, you know Trophimus, right? Well, Erastus is over here and Trophimus, he's sick over here, right? And so that's just, that's what's going on with them. 421, right? He says, make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. This is the second time in chapter 4 where Paul says, make every effort to come. Um, how much longer does Paul have? Not much, right? Like he's going to be killed, executed sometime soon for being a gospel-proclaiming Christian. So this time, though, he urges Timothy to come before winter. <coughs> Sorry. Winter made it harder, if not impossible, to travel in certain areas of Rome, right? So him trying to get to... Um, to where Paul's held, right, could be harder during the winter time. So he's like, hey, you're going to leave soon, right? Make every effort to leave as soon as possible so that whenever you get here, right, you'll be able to get here, ultimately, to make sure he's able to make it to Paul who wanted to come as soon as possible. So like every effort to come before winter, also he's probably not sure how much longer after winter he's going to be alive, right, uh, because of his execution coming. So then Paul says four more believers to greet Timothy, right? Eubulus, Prudence, Linus, and Claudia, right? We didn't know that Linus was a biblical name from Charlie Brown. Um, but Linus and Claudia are all, and all the brethren. So these people that Timothy probably knows, right? And all the believers in Paul's area greet Timothy. Um, actually, Linus is mentioned by the historian um, Irenaeus as the next leader of the church in Rome after Peter and Paul's deaths. After Peter and Paul die, Linus is this guy who kind of leads Rome, uh, the Roman church at least, not Rome itself. Um, and then we end with 422. 
The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Lord be with your spirit. So just like we saw last week, right? Everyone else abandoned Paul, but the Lord never abandoned him. The Lord remained faithful. The Lord be with your spirit. Um, remember from chapter 1, verse 7, right? The Lord's not given to a spirit of timidity, of a fear, but of power, love, and discipline. So he's saying, Lord be with your spirit. Remain faithful, Timothy. The Lord be with you, and grace be with you. This is a plural you in the Greek. So who's he talking to here? Yes. You all, y'all, right? All, everyone's going to read this letter that he's writing to Timothy. It's not just, Lord be with, grace be with you, Timothy. But grace be with you all. Everyone who's going to be reading this letter, grace be with you, right? And those are the last words of the apostle in the New Testament. Paul lived a faithful life and a tortured life for Christ, right? But he was able to stand strong because he relied on the word of God. He stood strong no matter what he was up against because God stood with him. Right? The Lord stood with him. <clears throat> so now we're going to look kind of this overview of all of 2 Timothy. So Paul opens this letter with a desire to see Timothy. A desire to see Timothy. And he ends the letter, right? He opens and ends it with like, hey, I want to see you. He's like, hey, make every effort to come to me. That's what he says. So chapter 1, we see here, right? He reminded Timothy, um, uh, or he wants to see Timothy remembering the faithfulness of Timothy. Paul talks about the same, or this line of faithful believers before him and before Timothy, right? He says, I serve God, the clear conscience, just as my ancestors, my forefathers did. And he says, he remembers Timothy and his faithfulness that was also in who? His mother and grandmother, right? Mother and grandmother are faithful believers, and then so is Timothy. And Paul says, I'm serving these nine of faithful believers that before me served. And he's saying, look at this line of people serving behind you, and it's led to you, Timothy. So then he goes, therefore, right? Therefore, serve. Um, he commands Timothy to rekindle the fire for ministry that he had, right? This fire that he had, this, this, this gift that was given to him. Paul says that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, of fear, of cowardice, but of power, love, and self-control. And so guard what you've been trusted with your ministry. Guard that, right? Stand strong in what you've been entrusted with. Others have abandoned Paul in ministry, but Anisiphorus has strove to refresh Paul. Anisiphorus do not care, right? He was not ashamed of Paul's chains. And so he says, you haven't been given the spirit of cowardice, but of power, love, self-control. Guard what you've been entrusted to you, right? Special to you. Stand strong with that. Others have abandoned Paul, and this force hasn't. And then we see chapter 2. Therefore, Paul tells Timothy to stand strong in the grace that's in Jesus Christ. Therefore, take these things you've learned and teach... Why is it so small? Oh, we have more. That's right. Um, um, take these things you've learned and teach them to faithful men who will teach others also. Why do you think he talks about teaching it to faithful people at the beginning of chapter 2? Definitely. Why do you think he does it right at this part of the letter? Mm. Right before that, he says, everyone's abandoned me, right? 
all of these people of enemy except for Nisiphorus. You, therefore, stand strong and pour into faithful people who will then pour into others also, right? Find people who are going to be faithful to teach others. And that's his emphasis. Because these people, they were there, and then something bad happened, and they're just poof, right? they're all gone. They abandoned Paul. He says, find some faithful people to pour into, right? So he contrasts the people who abandoned Paul with those faithful people he's telling Timothy to pour into. And then he says, suffer as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer, right? And so he says, as a soldier, don't, you're not concerned with the everyday things of life. You're trying to please the one you're serving. As an athlete, right, you have to only, you only get the prize if you compete according to the rules, right? We have to know the Bible, know how we're supposed to live so that we can compete as an athlete, right? And as a farmer, he says, a hardworking farmer has the right to get the first fruits, right? To get the, to get the reward of his labor, of the produce. And so... As a soldier, right, we want to fight the good fight, right? We want to finish the course, continue going by the rules, and keep the faith, maintain our faith that we have, right? And then Paul says, remember that Christ is risen from the dead and ascended of David. Um, resurrection and reward, right? Christ risen from the dead. He has power over death, right? And he also raised us from the dead. And then descendant of David. He will reign, and if we are faithful, we'll reign with him. And that's where we have the, um, those two things correlate, right? Christ raised from the dead, we'll reign with him if we live faithfully. Those are those first class ifs, right? If we doubt with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself, right? All first class ifs. So if we died and we did, then we will be raised. If we endure, and he's saying if this happens, and if we do do this, right, then we will reign. If we deny, he'll deny us, deny us what? Reigning, right? Yeah, the rewards. Um, these two kind of go together. Um, if we are faithless, he's still faithful because he cannot deny himself. When we place our faith in Christ, what do we get? Eternal life, right? Um, if he says, okay, yeah, you have eternal life, and then we're and then later on like, you know what? I don't believe. Then what happens? We lose the eternal life, right? Well, no, that, that does not make sense, right? How do you lose something that's eternal? If you can lose it, it wasn't eternal to begin with. You didn't get eternal life. You got life for a little bit. Then he just cut it off, right? But Christ says that you have eternal life, right? You will not perish, but you have eternal life. And so we know that if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He can't die himself. And he promised us eternal life. <coughs> and he says, be a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Accurately be in the word, right? Be faithful. He's saying all these things. So be faithful. Accurately handle the word. Don't argue about worthless things. He describes the faithful as purifying themselves from worthless talk and instead presenting themselves clean to God, ready for service. If you remember, um, it was like being a dirty trash can and saying, I'm ready to be a cereal bowl, God, right? Like fill me up and use me as cereal. And you're like... Ugh, imagine like a trash can, like an on-campus trash can, at least, right? Like, and then being like, all right, cereal time. You like pour a jug of milk and then pour your cap and crunch in there, right? Like, like, ooh, the milk wouldn't be white anymore, right? Like, it would not be good. But we need to analyze our lives so we can serve more adequately. Sometimes we try to we try to go look to God and say, all right, I'm ready right now. I'm ready. Go, come on, use me, use me, use me. And then we haven't even looked to see like, hey, I may have some things I gotta deal with before God can use me. I may be having some sins that I'm doing. And God's like, I would have you help this person, but you're going to fall into that sin because you're, you're too messed up in this sin over here, right? And so we want to serve. We want to come to God and serve no matter where we're at. 
We want to analyze our lives and say, God, search me, right? Take away this, this wicked way from me so I can serve you even better. Paul says, don't argue, but be kind, patient, able to teach, gently correcting those that are against us. And then stand strong against false teaching. Chapter 2 was a long one. There's a lot, lot, lot more verses in that one. And then chapter 3, right? He says, <coughs> stand strong against false teaching, but difficult times will come, right? But no matter what, it's going to be bad. Paul wants them to know difficult times will come because men are going to get worse. People are going to get worse and worse. This is where the chiastic came into play, right? Where the center and most important word was slanderers. This is where we had like, they're like this, and then 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 they're like this, right? And this was, I, uh, I'm going from the Greek, so, sorry. Oh, no, I don't have a room. Diabolos, right? Um, which is diabolical. Um, so, um, it's this idea of, like, malicious slandering, ultimately. And so, he says, these are, the, these are these false teachers, and they're described there. But he says, Timothy followed Paul's example, right? God rescued Paul out of all of his persecutions. And Paul even says, everyone who desires to live godly will be persecuted. Because the world's getting worse and worse. So if the world's getting, if we're staying right here, being faithful, and the world's slowly getting worse, we're going to stick out more, right, if we're being faithful. And so persecution, therefore, is going to get worse and worse. So the one thing Paul says for Timothy to turn to, to stand strong, the one thing he points him to is the Bible. To stand strong on. Turn to that foundation that Timothy's known from childhood, from his mother and grandmother. And then he says, all scripture actually is inspired by God, profitable and good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. He says the only way to adequately serve God is by being in the word. The only way to stand strong when there's so much false teaching and evilness in the world is by being in the word. That's chapter 3. And then he goes on and says, okay, therefore, because that's going to equip you to serve, chapter 4, preach the word, always be ready, reprove, rebuke, rebuke, exhort, be sober in all things and abdur. Um, endure hardship, be an evangelist, basically, and fulfill your ministry. So now come the heavy commands. Here's how you adequately serve, and here's what you need to do to serve. Preach the word, be ready at all times, reprove, rebuke, exhort, be sober in all things, endure hardship, and do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. He says there's a time coming, <coughs> people won't want to hear the word. They only want to hear what feels good. This is what they have an itching in their ears. They want to be satisfied. Things that will tickle the ear. Time coming, people will only want to hear what feels good. Well, how sharpened are you if you don't ever listen to God's word? No, you're not, right? You can't be. You aren't sharpened either if you have people, if you don't have people who will teach you the word, who will reprove, rebuke, and encourage you, exhort you, right? People are only there and they're only saying, you're fine. Live however you want, right? God wants you to be happy. No matter whatever makes you feel good, do that, right? Like, you're not going to be sharpened. In fact, you're just going to be doing more and more sin at that point, right? All times, what feels good in the moment for me is not what God wants me to do. And so, if you aren't in the Word, right, and you aren't in the Bible, 
you don't have people who are teaching you the Bible, reproving you, rebuking you, and encouraging you, then you aren't going to be sharpened. Paul has lived his life, he says, serving God, right? He is being poured out as a drink offering. He's done what's in, he's encouraging Timothy to live this way, but he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm done it, right? I'm done it. At this point, it's over. He knows he's going to be rewarded for his service. He's fought the good fight. He's finished the course. He's kept the faith like an athlete, or like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. He's being poured out as a drink offering. All of him, his whole life, he's like, I gave it to God, right? So now, before he departs from the earth and goes to be with God, goes to be with his Savior, he asks Timothy to come and see him. Oh, chapter 4, sorry. Oh, one chapter 4, look at that. Um, all have deserted Paul except for one person. Who is it? Luke. Hey. There you go. Um, Luke is the only one, right? Luke who wrote Acts and Luke, right? Um, who wrote Acts and Luke. And so no one was there, right, except for Luke. No one was there when Paul had his first hearing. He went out there. He stood out there. And he was like, all right, people can come and defend him. But no one came. He says, may it not be counted against them. But he says he was still able to preach the gospel. Why? God strengthened him. God was with him. Paul could stand strong in the face of adversity because God was with him. And God never leaves us, never forsakes us. He's always there. We can stand strong by his word and by his power. Paul has a few requests for Timothy, right? One of them is to bring Mark along because Mark is useful to service. He said, we want to be useful for service to God as Mark was useful to service to, to Paul. And then Paul pens the last few words he has for the Bible. So Paul continually points Timothy back to the Word, right? Back to the Bible. He does so because it's getting harder and harder for Timothy to stand strong. The world and the culture around him and the believers around him even are being timid, are taking a step back because they're afraid of the persecution. The way to fix that is not trying to appeal to those who have fallen away, but find people who are faithful and train them up in the Word of God. That's what he says to do. So the way that we stand strong is by being in God's word, by spending time in the Bible. That's the only way we can adequately serve God. If we aren't in the Bible, we're serving inadequately. So with 2 Timothy, right, stand strong and ultimately on the word of God is what he, what he kind of lays out here. We're just have some discussion, right? So from this past semester, these past, what, four months or whatever, um, what have been some of y'all's biggest takeaways from 2 Timothy? So for me, it's been good to see um, just like the emphasis on reprove, rebuke, exhort, encourage, like say the hard thing because like, guess what? You're disobeying the Bible. Mm. <laughs> and that's kind of been a, a dull life to me because <laughs> I don't like telling people what they don't want to hear. Mm. Um, and that's probably been my biggest takeaway is not being the kind of person who tickles the ears. Mm. But being the kind of person who's like, hey, like you really are doing really good in these areas. And in these areas, you're really not. And I'm telling you this because I love you and you need to do this. Or else, how are you ever going to improve? Mm. Yeah. It's really cool to see 
So like when you go and study through the, the entire passage in Second Timothy is that how you see Paul's perspective on things because he's being talked to by a guy who's no longer biased by the things of this world or the ways of this world. He's looking at things from the end of his life or while he's going back and speaking to Timothy who's in the thick of it, right? Mm-hmm. And things are just starting to get worse and worse. But Paul's like, he's like, I don't care because it's like Paul is near the point of death in his life and all he sees is the eternal state ahead of him and the reward that he has ahead of him. So everything he speaks of is like it's encouraging to stand strong in everything, to preach the word, to stick to the word, and to not give up things out of that because he sees the end reward of it. And he doesn't like he's he's gone through the persecution, he's about to reach the last bit of it where he loses his life, mm-hmm. of course, but he sees the end reward. And that's what his perspective is eternal through the entire life. Yeah. It's cool, like Oh, I was going to say, how many of us here are towards the end of our life? We don't know. <laughs> but, but like, we also haven't lived a ton of life, right? Uh, in the sense that there, there are many people in this church who are a lot more life than we have. Double, maybe triple, um, even more than that, what we've lived. And so they have a lot more perspective on these, like what's important in life and stuff. I think a part of that, maybe application even from that, is like talk to those people, right? Like get their wisdom of like, hey, here's what I'm going through. And they're like, yeah, that seems really important right now. Wait about five years, right? <laughs> or something. And you're like, ah, oh, okay. Um, and just other things that like we we just can't have that perspective on because we just don't yet. Um, but like take the the advice of, of older people, right? Um, very seriously. Now some of them might have to be like. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that was weird, right? Uh, so we'll just, they get old and they get a little crazy. Um, but but overall, right, like, yeah, so. What other takeaways from Second Timothy? One of the things that stuck out, the thing that stuck out to me a lot was the fact that if you're not in the Word, you can be inadequate for service. That was just something that I took out to me, because I think it's easy just to be like, we can go out and do it all, you know, we can go out and serve. And, but realistically, God, I mean, God says you're not going to be adequate. <laughs> I think what's interesting about that is that it actually connects, I think, to even the Revelation study from last time in Revelation with the Ephesus church, right? Ephesian church. And he says that what was wrong with the Ephesian church? Lost their first love. They were serving really well. But they're serving out of duty, right? And just I didn't do this because it's, it's good, right? But they lost their love of Christ, right? And I think being in the Word helps keep our love of Christ alive, right? In that sense, like we are in the Word, the living the Word is alive and powerful, sharp and two-edged sword, and so it actually helps us not lose our first love, not do it out of just duty. And I, that was a really impactful thing for me when everyone over that Second um, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen because. I was like, adequate, that's a weird word. What was the opposite of that? Inadequate, right? <laughs> and it was like, it changed our perspective from Bible reading being like, this is good, I know I should do it because I need to learn and stuff, to like, if I'm not doing this, I'm serving inadequately throughout the day. Right? And that became a big kind of encouragement in my life. So, yeah. I like the illustration of um, being a soldier how, I mean, says that a soldier um, does not get entangled in the concerns of civilians. 
Mm -hmm. And there's like, you know, soldier that signs up not knowing what he's signing up for. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe, but I don't know. But it uh, seems to me you wouldn't sign up unless you know what you're getting into. And so um, I think it was just a good reminder to, to forsake civilian life, essentially, right? So forsake the things in the world that are preventing me from serving my community officer well. Um, and that includes like my free time, my hobbies, my job, everything. So those are the I feel like what it actually says in that part. I don't have a Bible open yet. I'm sorry. Um, he says, he is not entangles him, no active soldier, sorry, no soldier active service, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So I'm going to please the one who uh, enlisted him as a soldier. And it's like, sometimes we can make ourselves or let ourselves become so entangled in the worldly things, things that are like maybe kind of important, right? But we let them entangle us rather than just being something we have to do. Sometimes I think uh, an application that's maybe an offshoot application is like how concerned and worried do we get by these things that don't eternally matter, right? Uh, like, here's a good example, finals. Right. Like how concerned are we with getting the right grade we need more than we are with being faithful to God during this time? Faithful in our studies, right? Being faithful in our studies, faithful to do the best we can for God's glory and not so worried about I have to get this grade, but rather I have to be faithful to God in my studies. Right. It can be really easy to say God wants me to get an A. And it's like, I mean, maybe you're able to do but god would rather you love people and serve him faithfully during this time and get maybe a b than get an a and be hateful towards those around you and close everyone out right and so i think it's so easy to get so focused and entangled in this everyday life that we have things that are important that we should give time to but have the wrong perspective on right like a soldier has to get food right Whatever kind of stuff. Those are all entangled about is what food am I getting? How am I going to get it? What am I going to do? Am I going to catch up on mushroom? I don't know, right? It's like, no, right? Like, just serve the one who is enlisted you in this battle. So, yeah, that's good. Looking through Caitlin at Mandy. So. <laughs> Chapters two and three talk a lot about the, the current and the coming opposition. Uh, both in, when it comes to conflict and opposition. One thing I thought was cool about is just what the the commanded response is to be. It's like in chapter two, verse twenty four, it's like a servant of the Lord must not be quarreled, but be gentle to all, able to teach patience, and humility correcting those who are in opposition, so that they may know the truth. And then talk about the slanderers in chapter three, and it mentioned that the command is from such people turn away. And that's one thing I think is that. When conflict comes, or where you have people that are being contentious or opposite or opposing others, is that like the automatic response is like, "Oh, we have to like avoid them altogether," or we got we we got to beat them. Like we have to like we have to stand strong, but we also got to win, okay? Mm -hmm. Or else like it, it, or else they win, type thing. But it's like no, it's like just 
instead it's trying to just means you don't give any ground and your all responses are humility mm-hmm. and gent and gentleness. This one kind of does really quickly move on to the like so okay, so like they strike and I I block and then I strike back. Like I've got a I've got a gain ground, right? No, because you stand your ground. Mm-hmm. And that kinda of goes back well I've probably heard this before, but a lot of the um pieces of the um, armor of God, right? Yeah, armor of God is like defensive, right? Uh, also, there's, you're naked in the back, right? Uh, there's nothing on the back. It's not run away. Um, but you're standing where you're at defensively in that in that realm, not turning and running or like, yeah, and like going after kind of thing. You're, just, you're there to, to defend where you're at. It's to stand strong right, where you're at. So. And what is the, what's what's the sword? Sort of God, but like the word. Wow, cool. I think that there's just a lot of validity that's provided um, just that so that you would be uh, so that you would be pleased at speaking that all scripture is God breathed and mm-hmm. just like the teachings that you would be maintaining. And I think um, just like reading in the Old Testament, and just like finding like in Numbers, you know, just it just feels like it's monotonous, but it provides validity for teaching that you would be maintaining. Uh, and so it's just beautiful to see like where you can find that like application throughout the Bible. Yeah, it's some Old Testament passages are hard. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is good for teaching correction and training. It's just how. Right? <laughs> um, at this point, Second Timothy, a lot of the Bible's been, been kind of written in the New Testament as well, but like not put together in the sense of like scripture, and he's talking about Revelation, right? It hasn't even been written yet at this point. Uh, he's talking about the Old Testament, a lot of this, as well as the New Testament. In fact, Peter actually calls Paul's writings and equates them with scripture um, and says that like um, Paul, things are kind of confusing sometimes, but they twist them um, as they do the rest of scripture, right? Talking about Paul's writings being equated with scripture. Um, but I think it makes me be more creative in the Old Testament. Not in the sense of like, I'm going to create meaning out of this. But like, I was curious how many people before God said, hey, to the Israelites, you're all going to die because you were unfaithful, but your sons will go in. I was like, how many people were there then? Because there's like numbers of how many people versus whenever they actually went into the land, you know, 40 years later. And it was like almost the same number of people. And I was like, that's really cool. Like God kept his promise and the same number of people actually went. Their sons actually went in the same number as they were there 40 years ago. And so it was just really cool like to see God's faithfulness even through the numbers and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I get that. I'm in, I'm in like the minor prophets right now. And I read like the end of Nahum yesterday. And all of Nahum is basically like destruction for Nineveh. Like that's basically um, and I was like, what, how, what's even happening here? But then I was like, okay, 2 Timothy 3.16, like, if this is in the Bible for a reason, like, so I should, I should at the very least read it and know it and try to see what it meant for Israel then and, like, how that's important to God's story. Because if I can figure that out, it'll provide context for a lot of other things. So even in places where it's, you know, the God of Destruction, which I hold is the most intense book of the Bible so far that I've read. But like, it's it's crazy, but it, it can provide context for some.
you didn't know about before. Because you didn't mind the prophets. Even that scripture is profitable, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, how have you been motivated to stand strong based off of Second Timothy? I think in chapter 4, um, verse 6 and 7, um, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering in the time for my departure is close. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I kept the faith. Um, it's been encouraging, but also really convicting to me because um, the longer that I'm, I've been a believer, the easier for me it's become to be apathetic towards the gospel. And um, for Paul to be able to be at the end of his life and be able to say that I poured out my full life as a drink offering and I fought the good fight, I finished the race. And like right after that, it says like, I'm gonna be judged and I'm gonna be rewarded. Um, and like to be able to say that like with every stage of my life, uh, like looking back, like being able to say, yeah, I've, I've like, tried to do a really good job with God's word and everything and be as faithful as I possibly can. Like, I don't know if I can say that same thing as Paul or anything. Yeah. I like the, uh, like, finishing the course, right? Like, when is the finish line? It's like, our death or Christ comes back, ultimately, right? That's like the end we have of serving right now and then in this part of our, our eternal life, right? Um, is whenever we die or if Christ returns and takes us with him. Um, and it says earlier in the book about running the race, as an athlete, you can't win the prize without competing according to the rules. And sometimes I think that we think the race starts or the race finishes at some point before the actual finish line, right? Like the race starts once I get out of college. I don't have these classes anymore. I can finally start serving, right? That's when the start happens. Well, our finish may happen before we think the start happens, right? Like we may not make it to the end of college. And then it's like, that's all the chance we had to serve God. That's the finishing the course is like that we didn't even start it, right? And so it's so easy for us to kind of get in this mindset. Well, once I get to this point, then I can serve. Once I get to this point, then I'll be done serving, right? I'll be retired, and then oh, I'm done, right? I'll be 65 and just be chilling on the beach in Florida. That's where retired people go and crazy people go. Um, and I'll just be chilling there and be like, fine, I'll be good. For the rest of my life, not to talk to anyone again. I can read my books on the beach, talk to no one, right? And it's like, that's not really what God calls us to do, right? We're never out of commission for the Great Commission. We're always going to be in the commission, always trying to serve God where we're at until we finish the course. And so, yeah, being able to say like, yep, I've always fought the good fight on the right side of the fight. I've always, I've finished the course and I have kept the faith like all the way through. I've been faithful. Like, sometimes I can't say that, right? And so it's a motivation to, to do that with his eyes on eternity, not on this temple. What other ways have you been motivated to stand strong based on Second Timothy? I think going back to verse 5 in chapter 4, I like where it says, As for you, always be safe minded and be something who live for the good will of the rest and fulfill the ministry. And just talking about, like, even though we know we're going to endure something on this side of heaven, like, there's always going to be a purpose behind it. And um, having that encouragement to know that suffering doesn't stop that suffering, <laughs> there's always something. 
yeah, I think it's cool that like be sober and all things doesn't mean, well, obviously doesn't mean also like don't be drunk all the time. Uh, but it means like be level-headed is what it actually means, right? Be level-headed. And if we know that we'll be rewarded for enduring hardship, then the level-headed response is not to get so worked up about the hardship, right? Um, not to be like, this is terrible. This sucks because all this bad stuff is happening. It's just terrible. There's no purpose in it. Why God, right? Some people think that that's the level-headed response. And if you're like, you know what? I'm not worried about it, right? I'm just going to trust God. People say that's the non-level-headed response. But in all reality, because we know what the future holds, the level-headed, sober response is, I'm going to endure this hardship, right? I'm going to still do the work of evangelism. I'm going to fulfill my ministry no matter what's happening. I'll have joy. This is the hope that I have in Christ. So, yeah. That's good. I've been really encouraged by rewards. Um, I think, like, that, like you were saying, um, and thinking about other parts in Scripture where people are faithful despite the hardship and they know, like, they have an eternal perspective. I mean, even going to, like, Job, the first, like, 75% of Job, but, like, most of Job, where he's like, this does suck, but, like, I'm still gonna just, I'm gonna endure, I'm gonna sit, <laughs> because that's all he could do. That's all he could do to be faithful, was just, and he even got more opportunities to be faithful because his friends weren't faithful. <laughs> and so he could tell them why he was in the right in that particular circumstance. But thinking like studying First Corinthians, First Corinthians three, where we talk about rewards, and Hebrews eleven six, and just all these places where it's like, well, because God is just, if I do good things, He's going to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And that's been a huge encouragement to stand strong. Because I know when I was first saved, I had the mindset of like. Why don't I just die now? <laughs> Basically, um, it was a little, maybe a little masochistic, but um, you know, just going to like Philippians two, where he's like, to live is Christ, and that's the better portion. To die is gain, but to live, I can serve. Mm-hmm. It's cool because you see in Philippians, like, you know, I'd rather be with Christ, but for your sake, I'm going to stay here, right? I'm, I'm going to keep on serving. That was his first imprisonment. He's like, I know to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want to be with Christ, but to live, to be here just to serve more. And I'd rather do that, right, for now. And then you get to Timothy, he's like, time's up, right? Like, I'm going to be with Christ, ultimately. Uh, but you mentioned Hebrews 11, 6, and that was a, a really good, a really cool verse. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Right? Without faith, it's possible to please God. You come, must believe that he exists, right? And that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. That if you're seeking him in your life, you're living life by faith, right? Uh, whenever we're, we believe and we have eternal life there, but then we actually live by faith in the rewards, in the promises he has for us. We are doing that because we think it's going to be good on our behalf, right? It's going to be good for us to do that. He's going to reward us because he is good. And so for us to believe that um, is important. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on 2 Timothy? It's that brief portion chapter 2, which I think we taught around spring break time about words. Mm. Um, that was really convicting. Worthless speech. Yeah. Think about worthless speech and worthwhile speech. Right. Um, and it talked about, in verse 16 of 2, 
avoid whirling empty chatter lead to further unguidedness. The talk will spread like gangrene, right? Um, these people are like that. Nevertheless, the Lord knows who are his. Um, basically purify yourself, flee youthful lust, pursue faith, love, peace, um, all those things, refuse foolish things. But then it goes 24. The Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient with wrong, gently correcting those in opposition. Um, and it's like, that's what our goal is, right? That's what we want to be doing. That's what we want to do. Um, that kind of like, man, the middle of this semester, like all the lessons converged at once on Tuesday nights and Sundays to be like, how are our words doing, right? And I don't know what God was trying to say, but <laughs> hopefully the point was made. <laughs> no, which one of y'all? No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Second Timothy, I have really enjoyed it. Um, it's been really cool. I think um, I chose it. I normally try to choose the um, lessons we do. I get some input from people as well, but I choose the, what I think the the people within Cornerstone need, right? What would be good and edifying. Um, and this kind of idea of like, hey, keep standing strong, right? Like you've been serving, keep on doing it based right on the word. Like we have a lot of really faithful people within Cornerstone. And so I was like, this would be a really good thing to just encouragement of like, hey, keep on going, keep on going. Um, there's one thing that I think really kind of makes that a... Okay, here it is. Um, in chapter 1, verse 12, right? He says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Right? He says, I'm not ashamed of this suffering, right? I know that I believed in Christ, and that he will reward me based on what I've done. He is able to guard what I've given to him. All of this toil I have is not in vain. I'm doing it for Christ. So it's such an encouragement to keep on going, right? Like it can be hard during seasons of our life to actually keep serving God, but we know that he's faithful to reward us based on what we've done. So that is the end of 2 Timothy, right? Um, so remember, we have finals feed after the baptism outside. So come back into this room. Um, after that, and then we will have after hours tonight, starting tonight. Um, there are cards back there for after hours. We're going to take some to give to people. You're in an exam, and you're like passing over a card in the middle of the exam, right? right? Or you like have it use it as a note card, right? And then you're like, oh, whoops. Right? No. Um, but yeah, you can definitely take some of those. Um, that'll be good. So I'll pray, and we'll be done. Lord, thank you so much for this letter from Paul to Timothy that you have inspired and made profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. Um, I pray that we would study it ourselves um, in the future still and look at it and get more things out of it than we got this semester. Um, I pray for everyone in here and for myself as well, that we would be able to stand strong in the midst of this generation that we have around us and this culture around us that's just um, going more and more downhill that wants to hear things that make them feel good other than things that are true and things that will build them up and edify them and sharpen them. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be able to do that by standing on your word, by being in your word and being adequate um, to serve you and to be accurately handling the word of truth that you have given us, Lord. Um, guide us, direct us, and uh, we know that you will always be standing with us, um, Lord. So I pray that we would just rely on you and love you and love others the best that we can. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.